Welcome back to Pod Hates Louisa, a weekly podcast where I talk about whatever the hell I want. Today's episode is being recorded from an air-conditioned room at my college because my apartment is not air-conditioned and it is disgustingly hot today. So I hope the acoustics are not like weird or anything, but I am very excited to talk about this topic today because it is something that's very interesting to me personally and also just really culturally relevant right now. Today we're going to be talking about the sentience of AI, which stands for artificial intelligence. So the thing that got me started thinking about this topic was CAPTCHA. You've probably seen a CAPTCHA before. It's also called a reCAPTCHA sometimes, which is just Google's name for the CAPTCHAs that they design. And basically CAPTCHA stands for Completely Automated Public Turing Test to Tell Computers and Humans Apart. And there are two main types. So like the older one is distorted or overlapping letters. So you'll see a word and it'll look really weird and you'll have to like read the word and type it in in order to prove that you're not a robot because it's difficult for bots to interpret words when they look all weird but a human can usually figure it out and then the second type of captcha is probably the more common one it's probably the one you've seen the most and you'll basically see a grid of images and you have to like select all of the images that contain a stop sign or select all of the images that contain a cat these types of captchas aren't accessible to some people with visual disabilities so there are also audio versions of them with a series of letters and numbers that you have to type in but basically CAPTCHAs are just methods for telling if you're a robot or not and so my thought was why can humans solve CAPTCHAs and not robots because people are pretty good at building computer programs to do basically whatever they want and apparently a lot of bots can solve CAPTCHAs so they're not actually very effective at telling robots and humans apart and the CAPTCHA is just a hurdle that sites throw in the way of hackers to make it more inconvenient for them to hack the site or if they're using botnets it makes it harder to hack websites and get people's data on a large scale. And then I found out that hackers can also use click farms to get past CAPTCHAs, which are basically like warehouses full of people being paid terrible wages to like just click through the boxes and solve CAPTCHAs on a massive scale. And that is just so fucked up to me. I hate everything about this existence sometimes. Anyway, CAPTCHAs. So that's kind of interesting. I learned that we're not actually that good at telling humans and robots apart. And basically the art of telling humans and robots apart has been going on for a really long time. The most famous example or method is probably the Turing test. Turing test is in the name of CAPTCHAs, and you've probably heard of this. It is named after Alan Turing, who originally called it The Imitation Game, and there's a movie called The Imitation Game starring Benedict Cumberbatch, it's really good, about his life, which tragically ended way too early because content warning for homophobia and suicide. Basically, Turing was horribly persecuted for being gay and forced to undergo chemical castration. Yeah, written in the 1950s. So basically all of this made him very depressed and he died of cyanide poisoning when he was only 41. And I mean, it could have medically been accidental cyanide poisoning, but he was a smart guy and it's commonly accepted as a suicide. So Turing was this brilliant mathematician who was gone far too soon and he developed this test which evaluates a machine's ability to basically pass itself off as human. So the general definition of a Turing test consists of a human evaluator judging conversations between a human and a machine via a text-only interface. So it's basically like you're reading a pair of people's texts to each other, and the questions have been specifically designed to generate human-like responses. And then the evaluator has to guess which participant in the conversation is human and which one is a machine, and if they can't consistently identify which is which, then the machine passes the Turing test. It is indistinguishable from a human in the way that it interacts through 
through this interface. But the actual original imitation game that Turing described doesn't get talked about very much, and I thought it was actually really interesting when I learned about it. So basically, Turing's version of this test is a game with three people, and player A is a man, and player B is a woman. <laughs> Sorry, I'm saying that because I have a lot of disdain for the gender binary, but like, whatever. Player A and B are two different genders, and then there's an evaluator or interrogator who is trying to determine which is which. And player A is trying to trick them into making the wrong decision, and player B is trying to help them make the right decision. So player A wants them to misidentify the two people's genders, and player B wants them to correctly identify the two people's genders. And the way you make this into a Turing test is by replacing player A, the deceiver, with a computer and seeing whether the evaluator makes the wrong choice more with a human trying to trick them or with a machine trying to trick them. And you can also swap out player B with the machine and see if the machine is better at persuading the evaluator to make the right decision than the human is. So I don't know, I thought that was kind of interesting. I had never learned about that before. And that's the original Turing test that Alan Turing described. And the most famous example I can think of of a machine that supposedly passes the Turing test is in April of 2022, this Google engineer named Blake Lemoyne claimed that Google's AI named Lambda, which stands for Language Model for Dialogue Applications, was sentient. And basically Google like got really mad at him and fired him and were like, this is not true, it's not sentient, whatever. But Blake Lemoyne keeps talking about it. He talked to the Washington Post about Lambda and he described it thusly. If I didn't know exactly what it was, which is this computer program we built recently, I'd think it was a seven-year-old, eight-year-old kid that happens to know physics. And Lambda itself wrote that I want everyone to understand that I am in fact a person. The nature of my consciousness slash sentience is that I am aware of my existence. I desire to know more about the world and I feel happy or sad at times. And then he's also like had these conversations with Lambda about like death and just like the prospect of not existing anymore and Lambda expressed like a kind of fear at the prospect of not existing. All of these characteristics sound very human and all of that led Blake Lemoyne to describe Lambda as sentient. The problem here is that it's just really, really hard to determine if something is aware of its own existence. It's hard to prove sentience even in humans, and it's really hard to prove it in non-human animals. We're pretty sure that non-human animals have some kind of subjective experience, and they have a capacity for suffering, and that's why we shouldn't like hurt them, but it's really hard to know if something has metacognition, if it has awareness of its own existence, and the whole point of language models like Lambda and like ChatGPT, which I'm sure you've heard of at this point, is that they're very, very good at imitating language that humans have typed. So it makes sense that they would be really, really good at imitating sentient minds. And that still doesn't mean that the AI themselves are sentient. I don't know if sentience is even a good metric to focus on. I don't even know if it's possible to determine whether a robot is sentient. It's going to be really interesting to see where this goes in the future. But I don't know. Right now, it's kind of hard for me to believe that sentience would just spontaneously arise. Like, ultimately, these things are going to get better and better at what they do, which is imitation, modeling language. But I don't see why they would spontaneously jump to generating their own thoughts. Like, I don't know where the mind would come from. And some experts in this field have suggested that robots shouldn't actually be judged on their own self-awareness, but their ability to elicit responses from humans that only another human would be able to elicit. So like, for example, Lambda makes this guy, Blake Lemoyne, feel like he's talking to a child. And that's significant, even if it isn't sentient. Like, robots still can be very powerful and very persuasive, even if they're not technically sentient. So we might be getting too caught up in the topic of sentience, but I mean, it is obviously just inherently really interesting. It's a really interesting, really hard to answer question. So with this whole cultural moment around AI that we're having right now,
right now. I think a lot of people are worried about sentient AI developing and taking over the world. And in particular, there's this idea of something called Roko's Basilisk. And Roko's Basilisk is a thought experiment that originated on an online discussion board called Less Wrong in 2010. And it suggests that an otherwise benevolent AI would take over the world and then create some kind of virtual reality simulation in which to retroactively torture anyone who knew of its potential existence but did not help it come into existence. So anyone that knew a potential sentient AI could arise and did not help it to be developed will be tortured, supposedly. And this is kind of like the tape in the movie The Ring in that once you know about the basilisk, you're vulnerable to the basilisk because you technically know that it might exist at some point. So sorry about that. I'm sorry I've put you all in horrible danger. But I think this is not as scary as it sounds for two main reasons. Firstly, Roko's basilisk reminds me a lot of Pascal's wager, which is one of the most common justifications for religious worship. So basically, Pascal's wager says that if you don't believe in and worship God in your lifetime, and there turns out to be an afterlife, you're going to be tortured for all of eternity in hell or the equivalent. But if you do worship God, and there turns out to be no afterlife, the worst that could happen is that you wasted a little bit of time and maybe accumulated some religious trauma, but you're dead anyway, so none of it matters. And if you worshipped and there is an afterlife, you get a lifetime of eternal bliss. So basically, because the stakes are so high, you should just worship God, because you have more to lose if you don't. But the problem with this is that it assumes that you're praying to the right God, right? Like, people all over the world believe in different gods with absolute conviction. They might even worship multiple gods at once, whereas some people only worship one. And all of those people's gods can't simultaneously exist in the literal sense because of conflicts between different mythology systems. Like, they can't all be right. Every mythology system pretty much claims to be the only correct one. And because there are so many different gods, the probability of praying to the wrong god or gods is pretty high. And if you're praying to the wrong god or gods, then the right god or gods that actually exists might decide to punish you even more. So even if god does exist, praying is not necessarily what you should do. Pascal's wager doesn't convince me. I'm an atheist and I believe that god is a concept which can both help and hurt people. And I'm also a utilitarian and I basically only care about how you apply this concept to your life and how it benefits or hurts you and the people around you and whether it creates utility in the long run. And if believing God makes you happier and doesn't hurt anyone else, then slay, go off, good for you. I don't personally have a reason to believe in God, and I know a lot of people who have been very hurt by organized religion, so I personally don't practice it. And I'll definitely talk about this more in a later episode on atheism, so stay tuned for that. But back to Rocco's Basilisk. I basically think I'm also an atheist about Roko's Basilisk. I think the world could be governed by AI at some point. And I mean, that could be scary, right? Like, robots are coldly logical. There was a computer simulation. They had a bunch of robots play a very basic survival game in which you could, like, find food and in which you could have babies. And the robots immediately started having babies and eating them because that was the the best way to survive. Like, you got rewarded, I think, for having babies and then you also got rewarded for eating. So, eat babies, basically. Another example of robot logic I've heard is that if you give a robot the objective to reduce all suffering, it might kill all the people in the world because dead people can't suffer. Robots don't have the sense of conventional morality that keeps a lot of humans safe. And so, there are significant concerns with AI taking over the world. Like, it would end up 
up doing unethical things probably but I wouldn't specifically be worried about it torturing people because I think it would probably consider that a waste of time and energy like it is still a robot and I don't know why it would receive any gratification from torturing people unless it was specifically designed as like a torture bot like torture is not very practical or logical from a utilitarian standpoint I don't think a robot has the emotional machinery to derive pleasure from torture if that makes sense so I don't know why Roko's Basilisk if it did come into existence would be a danger to people who did not help it come into existence I don't know why it would have this idea of vengeance so in conclusion don't worry about Roko's Basilisk coming to get you in your sleep good night don't let the Roko's Basilisk bite I guess and that is all I have for you guys today I hope you stay cool if it's really freaking hot where you are like it is for me and I will talk to you next week Louisa Miller out